Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope that the message that you are about to hear not only encourages you, but helps you follow Jesus like never before. If you feel blessed by this teaching, I wanna challenge you to do two things. First of all, share this with someone that you know needs to hear this. And second of all, I want you to consider giving back to the ministry so that other people that just like you could also grow in their relationship with Christ. To do so, simply go to cfmiami.org give, and there you can follow the instructions, all right? Thank you so much. We hope that you enjoy this teaching. Amen, amen. How many of you believe that today God is going to build His church and the gates of hell cannot prevail, amen? He's gonna continue to build His church. Wow, what a powerful, a time of worship. And so I want to welcome all of our campuses across Miami-Dade. I want to welcome our West Kendall campus, our Redlink campus, our Doral and downtown campus that are together today. And to everyone who is watching us online, can we give it up for all those who are joining us for the first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an amazing time of worship. My name is Carlos and I serve as the executive pastor here and a part of the teaching team as well. And we've been going through this series that we've entitled Unstuck. And perhaps you may feel stuck in your relationship with Jesus. And we've been going through our discipleship pathway and we talked about connecting to God. Uh, we talked about connecting to others, connecting to the ministry. And now we're gonna talk about connecting to the mission. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to begin in verse 7. If you don't have your Bibles, all the verses will come up on the screen. Here's what the Word of God says. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. In other words, into which I have called you to that city. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, God, and thank you for this beautiful time of worship that we are gathered here today, Lord. Thank you that you will build your church, God. Use us, God. I pray that you speak to us today, Lord. Eliminate every single distraction from our minds. Uh, we want to be focused on you, and we want to be transformed by the power of your word through your spirit. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus once again. Amen. You can have a seat now at all of our campuses. And, you know, one of the cars that I love is the Tesla. And I know some of you may have that car. And uh, Shawnee and I actually, a couple months ago, we test drove the Tesla. Uh, we don't plan to buy one, but we just did it uh, for fun at Dayland Mall. Uh, it's an incredible drive. And we've all heard of the Tesla, and we've probably heard of the CEO of Tesla. His name is Elon Musk. And I know he can be a polarizing figure. Some people really like him. Some people dislike him. But several years ago, in 2018, there was a situation that took place in northern Thailand. And there was these 12 boys that were part of a soccer team. Them and their coach were actually trapped in in a cave uh, after their soccer practice. And this took place in the northern part of Thailand, and they were trapped into this cave. The moment that Elon Musk heard about the story, he went on a mission. And his mission was, I want to do everything I can to rescue these boys who were trapped in that cave. So he decided to leverage his resources. He decided to leverage uh, his skills, his employees, uh, his team, his abilities, his wealth, his money, the things that he had to, left to help these boys be rescued from that cave. And so him and his team, uh, engineers and managers and, and some of the employees, they started trying to create a tool that can help these boys be rescued that were trapped in this cave in northern Thailand. And so after some time, they actually created and invented this tool. And with that in mind, uh, take a look at this video. Billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk has a method to save the Thai youth soccer team trapped in a cave. It involves a kid-sized submarine. This is a tube made from SpaceX rocket parts, and Musk has been sharing video of this pod being tested in a pool at a high school in Los Angeles. Musk, the head of SpaceX, Tesla, and the tunnel-digging boring company, 
shared details of the plan on Twitter, and he said the tube is light enough to be carried by two divers and small enough to get in through narrow gaps in the cave. This tube has oxygen ports and a cone on the nose to protect it from getting hit with rocks. Musk tweeted that the pod is built from the liquid oxygen transfer tube of a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. And in this journey, a passenger is laying inside the tube with his arms crossed. The diameter is very tight, just 12.2 inches. Once out of the water, the team has to unlock the door carefully, adjusting the pressure and screwing off multiple bolts. Eventually, the hatch is opened and the man can slide out of the top end. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's awesome. The moment they invented that tool, Elon Musk himself went to northern Thailand and he gave this invention to the government there. They would actually not use the tool, but that did not stop Elon Musk because he did everything he could uh, to try to rescue uh, these boys. And finally, after 18 days, every single boy that was trapped in that cave and their coach was actually rescued uh, from that cave. You see, here's the thing. Elon Musk used all of his resources. He used uh, his time. He placed his energy and effort, his skills, his talents to do everything he can to rescue these boys from dying physically. Now, let me bring all of that over uh, to our teaching for today. Because church family, do not miss the point in all of this. Because just like Elon Musk used all of his resources, uh, his time, he leveraged the things that he had, his, his skills and his team to rescue these boys from physically dying, just like that, in a much greater way, if you are a child of God, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, God has given you a mission and he has called us to leverage the things that we have, our resources, our time, place our energy and effort to do everything that we can to rescue people, not in a physical way, but rather in a spiritual way. He's called us to the mission. He's called us to, to reach people who are far away from the things of Christ into a close relationship with Jesus. How many of you believe that today? Amen. Now, you may be thinking, Carlos, I'm tracking with you, and I get you, but how is it that I leverage my time? How do I leverage the things that I have to reach people for Christ? Well, we're going to find out today as we go uh, through this passage in Jeremiah. And so we love uh, to take notes here. I want to encourage you to take out your Christ Fellowship app or your listening guide or whatever you use to take notes. Here's the first point that I want you to write down. Every single follower of Jesus is called to the mission. Amen. Called to the mission. Now let's go back to Jeremiah, and I'm going to pick it up from verse 1. This is chapter 29. Look at what Jeremiah the prophet writes. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and to all the people. Say with me, all. all. Say it like you mean it, all. all. To all the people. Now, let me give you a little bit of context to set up uh, the teaching for today because some of you may not understand really what exactly is happening in this time. Well, Jeremiah the prophet writes this letter, and he writes it in 597 B.C. Now, Jerusalem, the people of God, they were actually attacked by this terrible empire called the Babylonian Empire. And it was led by King Nebuchadnezzar. This is this evil, wicked guy. And the first attack took place in 603 BC. This is where they captured Daniel and his friends and they take them to this evil city by the name of Babylon. The next attack takes place in 597 BC. And the last attack takes place in 586 BC. And this is when they decimate and completely destroy uh, the city of Jerusalem, and they take over uh, the Israelites. And so this letter takes place in 597 B.C., and when Jeremiah writes this, the Babylonian Empire, they had taken their political leaders, uh, they had taken their, their, the priests, uh, they had taken government officials, uh, they had taken the elders, and they had taken thousands of people, and they're now living in exile in this city called Babylon. And so Jeremiah gives them the mission, 
And he says in verse 7, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. But notice when Jeremiah gives the mission, he doesn't give the mission only to uh, the elders. He doesn't give the mission only to the political leaders, to the government officials, to those on staff and in leadership, but he gives the mission to all people. See, that is a pagan city. That's an evil, wicked city. They don't preach anything that we are for. That is a very hostile, aggressive, bad city. But I have called you on a mission. Now, why does that matter for us today? See, because in the same way, we are in this world, but we're not part of this world. And we are, you can say that we are in exile here in the city of Miami. And every single one of us, God has given us one mission. No matter what occupation you have, whether you are a teacher, a nurse, a stay-at-home mom, a blogger, uh, whatever, a student, a lawyer, a doctor, a mechanic, you work in construction, no matter what occupation you have, if you are a child of God, every single one of us, we have the same mission. And Jesus gives us that mission in Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus ascends, before he ascends back into heaven, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We may all have different occupations, but we all have the same assignments and we all have the same mission. How many of you believe that today at all of our campuses? And so Jeremiah gives the mission to the people of God who are in the city of Babylon. But think about this for a moment. That's an evil, wicked city. It's a very hostile city. So much worship of pagan gods. And what can stop us from living on mission is that rather than living on mission, we become isolated from what God has called us to do. We become separated from the mission. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Wrong ways to connect to the mission that God has called us to is separation. Because separation leads to tribalism. Now, I know that's not a very common word, but tribalism is this idea that you only hang out. You only associate with people from your tribe, people who have the same beliefs as you, people who speak like you speak, people who uh, act the way that you act, people who uh, dress the way that you dress, people who have the same uh, political views that you have, people who have the same ideologies that you have, people who raise, uh, were raised the same way that you were raised, and I'm only going to hang out with my tribe, and this is my circle, and I am not going to live on mission because those people are too evil in Babylon, and in our case, Miami. And listen, I get it. The first Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul writes that uh, bad company corrupts a good character. And we have to be wise on who we choose uh, to have uh, friends and who the, our inner circle is going to be. But the problem is that inadvertently we begin to separate ourselves from everyone and we almost live in this spiritual bubble, in this spiritual utopia, in, in this spiritual isolation, and, and, and we live in, 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 this, in this, like we, we are separated from everyone else. In fact, uh, Christians, sometimes we've created our own language, Christianese and if a non-believer were to hear our conversations, they wouldn't even understand them. Hey, brethren, how thou are you? I am holy, sanctified, justified, redeemed by the all-powerful Jeshua. Hey, sister, how was small group? It was super edifying being with the saints, double saints, all the saints, holy communion, and we learned about the double imputation of Christ. And if a non-believer were to hear us, they would be like, what is this uh, person even saying? 
God has not called us to isolation. He's not called us to be in this spiritual utopia and this spiritual bubble and this spiritual silo, but he's called us to be on mission. In fact, look at what Jeremiah writes in this chapter, in chapter 29, because in Psalm 119, we, in Psalm 137, look at what was happening. The people of God, it says that by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. The people were hoping to be back in Jerusalem. They were living in the outskirts of the city. They were crying. They didn't want to do anything to do with the city of Babylon. It's an evil, wicked city. But look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look at what he says in verse 5. Isolate yourselves from those people. Thank you, Nigel. Move away from those people. Have nothing to do with them. Those are evil, wicked people. No, it says build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. That does not sound like isolation. That does not sound like tribalism. That does not sound like separation. That is, you are called to that city. I sent you to Babylon. It's an evil and wicked city, but I have given you a mission not to live in isolation, not to live in separation, but rather to bring transformation to that city that is desperately lost. How many of you want to live that way, that you want to have influence and infiltrate? Wherever you go, you are called to transform that city. That is your mission field wherever you go. God has strategically positioned you to transform that city. You know, this idea of tribalism, and I only hang out with people that are exactly like me. As a pastor, I can fall into that trap. I mean, I work at church. I'm here almost every single day. My office is here at church. I come to worship services at our, at our church, of course, and have my small group, my kids come to school here at church. Praise God for Christ Fellowship Academy. It's an amazing school. Can we give it up for them? Amazing. Thank you, teachers, Mrs. Estevo. But it's church, church, church. Church, church, church. And I have a mission too. And so several months ago, I told you guys that I actually coached uh, peewee football for my son's uh, little flag football league. And uh, I've been doing it. I did it two seasons and I plan to do it again. And uh, and, and one of the things, one of the reasons, I kid you not, I don't do this to, to show off or boast, but I do this as an example. One of the reasons why I decided uh, to coach, you know, I'm a busy person, but it takes up my Saturday morning and it takes up my Wednesday evening because we have practice on Wednesdays. One of the reasons why I decided to coach is because I don't want to fall into the trap of tribalism. And I wanted to be around people who are lost People who don't act the same way that I act. People who don't believe the same beliefs that I believe. People who don't, uh, who are totally different. And so when I go to that football field, it's not so much about the plays that we run, lightning one and lightning two, lightning three, and throw it to the tight end or give it to the running back or the quarterback's going to go this way. It's not so much about the plays that we run. It's not so much about the football field, but that field is my mission field. And so all the parents that, I'm, that I associate myself with, I invite them to church. And we had a situation where my, one of our assistant coaches, his name is Coach Lewis, great guy, volunteer. We're all, we all volunteer. His mother had passed away, and then he had to travel to Puerto Rico. And I was sharing my faith with him. I was telling him, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. I was texting him. I invited him to church. That was the time when the conversational series was going on. And I invited Coach Lewis. I invited Coach Aaron. And I've been inviting the parents because that football field is my mission field. Can I remind you today, young person, when you go to school, that middle school, that high school, that college, and that university. Yes, you want to get educated. Yes, you want to get a degree. Yes, you want to excel in your grades. But your greater assignment is to point people to the ways of Jesus, to point them to the light, to the hope, to the joy, the peace that comes in Jesus Christ alone. Can I remind you today, when you go to work, when you go to your office, that coworker, 
Yes, you have a job to do, but your greater assignment when you go into that hospital, when you go into that office, your greater assignment is to point people to Jesus Christ because God has not called us to isolation. God has not called us to separation. He's called us to transformation. How many of you believe that today? Come on, at Doral campus, at our West Kendall campus, at our Redland campus, give Jesus a loud shout of praise, amen? So the wrong ways to connect to the mission is separation, which leads to tribalism. The other wrong way is assimilation, which leads to liberalism. You know, this is the other spectrum. This is, the, this is where the pendulum swings the other way. One way is, uh, ah, they're too bad, they're too evil, they're too wicked. So I'm going to live in my little uh, spiritual utopia, my spiritual bubble. Uh, you know, I'm going to live in my silo here. And the other way is, oh, this is so awesome. You're so immersed and in tune to culture and you're so involved into uh, the, the things of this world. Then rather than uh, be people being changed, you're the one that is assimilating and changing to the world. And yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we are sinners. And yes, we do make mistakes and we do fail. But God says we're holy, and holy does not mean perfection, but it means set apart. And so oftentimes people say, well, yeah, uh, Pastor Carlos, I, I, I like to hang out all the time with sinners and people who are far away from God because, because Jesus did that. Jesus hung out with sinners all the time. Yeah, but you ain't Jesus. You shouldn't be going to that place. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't go be hanging out with that person. Jesus never sinning. You're sinning more than other people. You know, you're falling into all this stuff. You're assimilating to the world. That's why when they criticize Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, look, look at what the Bible says. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. These are the Pharisees and the religious people. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In that passage, in that uh, narrative in Matthew chapter 11, they were comparing Jesus to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the opposite of Jesus where he was more uh, formal and more rigid and more strict and he would not hang out with people who were uh, far away from, from Christ and who were sinners. And Jesus was the other way and they were like, oh, look at this guy. He's always hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and he's always with people that he shouldn't be. But in that verse it says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. In other words, look at the byproducts of what happens when Jesus hung out with, with, with sinners. They were transformed. Jesus did not change to be like the sinners. The sinners changed to be like him. Oh, y'all woke up already. Thank God. Jesus did not change. The sinners changed to be like him. Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus. This is an evil tax collector. This is a guy who people dislike. He has dinner with him. And what happens? His life is radically changed. So my question for you today is, when you hang out with sinners, do you have influence over them or do they have more influence over you? Do you have influence over them or do they have influence over you? And so God has called us not to be separated into tribalism, uh, not to be, uh, you know, assimilated and at least to liberalism. He's called us to transformation. And the way that you do that is by serving people's spiritual needs. Write that down as your next point if you're writing, out, writing notes today. Serving people's spiritual needs. Look at what that passage says. I'm going to take you back to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Jeremiah says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to circle or underline the words peace and prosperity. Other translations say welfare. And um, we told you many times that the Old Testament was first written in Hebrew and then translated into other languages, most of the Old Testament. Some of it was written in Aramaic. And in the Old Testament, the word peace and prosperity, which is one word, is the word shalom. 
Say it with me, shalom. Say it like you mean it, shalom. And it means uh, peace. It means this type of peace that you experience completion and wholeness. In other words, the, the only way that someone can really experience true peace is by having a relationship with Jesus. And so as followers of Christ, we are an extension, we are an avenue of the peace of God. Wherever we go, we should carry God's shalom. I don't have to tell you that Babylon was a very evil, wicked city. It was a very hostile city. It was a very rude city. It had very bad traffic and terrible drivers, terrible customer service. If you go to a restaurant, sometimes the waiter looks at you like if you're, they're doing you a favor. Sounds familiar, right? Miami. How are you bringing God's shalom where you go? The other day we were driving, I was driving from the downtown campus and we had recorded last week actually, and we had recorded our um, small group series that we're really excited about this. Uh, Pastor Omar, myself, and uh, Pastor Gideon. And, and so I'm driving back and it's around four o'clock. Traffic is starting to get pretty bad. And I was still in the downtown area and I was on 836. And um, to my left is the part that you can take I-95 south, right? And to the right, you can take I-95 north. And if you go straight, you go on 836. And so I needed to go straight, but we were stuck in traffic. And all of a sudden, I'm in my Corolla, small vehicle. There's this tractor trailer that is trying to get into my lane. Mind you, he doesn't have his turning signal on. He doesn't wave at me to like, hey, you know, like courtesy, like, can I get in there? He's literally bullying me on the road and pushing me to the side. Like we're stopped and he's like going into me. Like if I don't move out of the way, he's going to hit my car. I wish I can tell you that I show them shalom. I wish I could tell you that I show them God's peace. I wish I could tell you that I send them an invite card. Here you go, brother. Here. I have a pastor of Christ Fellowship. Do you want me to pray for you? I'll pray for you. God's shalom, God's peace and prosperity over your life. No, I, I got upset. I was like, in my mind, I was like, are you serious? For, are you for real? At least ask that you're coming this way. So I start honking the horn, and I'm like, beep, 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 beep. 30 seconds later, I had to move out of the way. And so I drive by him, and I remember, oh, I have the Christ Fellowship car magnet in my trunk. <laughs> I felt so much conviction. I'm like, maybe he comes to Christ Fellowship. Maybe he's like, oh, Pastor Carlos is a jerk. They didn't want to let me in. But he was, he was bullying me. Like, he would, didn't put on a signal. I would have moved out of the way, asking all this stuff. Listen, 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 listen. I, 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 at the end of the day, I, you don't know what that guy is going through. You don't know what he's facing. And I'm not saying, I'm not advocating that we should be pushovers and be bullied by people and not, and be people just being pushed over. No, I'm not saying that. But, but in whatever situation I'm in, God has called me to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And that's not seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city. I'm called to be a vehicle, an extension of God's shalom. And so when you go to work and your boss tells you, you can have the day off, you can use PTO, how are you going to exemplify God's Shalom, because we are called to be an extension of the love, grace, compassion, the peace of God that only comes through Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that today at all of our campuses? Come on, I'm preaching to somebody today. <laughs> Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. And the greatest way that you can do that is by telling others about Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He was on a mission. See, every time that we tell others about Jesus Christ, we're pointing them to the Prince of Peace. You know, we've been talking about our discipleship pathway, 
And we talked about connecting to God, and we love coming to worship service and hearing a powerful worship uh, music, and Chad and Jeannie leads us in worship, and they do a phenomenal job, and Frankie and everybody else, and at all of our campuses, we go to our small group, connect to others. That's where we grow, and we are encouraged and challenged by other people, other men and women and young adults, and we grow in God's word. And then we have connect to ministry. That's where we get to use our skills and our talents to serve others in the church. CF kids, CF students, uh, young adults. We have amazing ministries, right? Come on, give it up for the ministries. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. But then we have, this is the last component of our discipleship pathway. Connect to mission. Now think about this for a moment. Because when you see these, connect to God, connect to others, connect to ministry. If you only do three out of the four, what can happen? It's tribalism. That's my tribe. That's my crew. That's my ministry. That's my church. That's my campus. West Kendall says best Kendall. <laughs> Doral, Doral Hialeah, you know, whatever. That's my campus. That's my church. You, be, you fall into this trap about tribalism. But we don't want to fall into that trap of tribalism. We're not called to just grow, grow, grow. We're called to go as we grow. So we're called to live on mission. And I know what some of you are thinking, but Pastor Carlos, I'm not an extrovert or I'm not so passionate like you are or, or, or I'm not so eloquent or I can't really uh, communicate well and I don't know as much. Listen, listen I, I get all that. But here at Christ Fellowship, we want to resource you. We want to give you all the tools to live on mission, to help you point people to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's why at all of our campuses, we're going to be giving these Connect to Mission Christ Fellowship bags. At every single one of our campuses, when you leave today, all family, all one per household. If you need another one, you can get another one. And in that bag, there's going to be a, a, a gospel card that can help you start a, a gospel relationship. Very easy, a, a three-circle method. Very simple, an easy way to, to pray for someone and to lead someone in the things of Christ. We're gonna, we have an invite card there. Uh, we have a card magnet. We have our yard signs. Listen, do not minimize what God can do through a yard sign. I, I have talked to, when I visit campuses, one of the questions that I con constantly ask is, how'd you hear about Christ Fellowship? And one of the things that people would often tell me is, I saw a yard sign. I saw my neighbor had a Christ Fellowship yard sign, and then I went to someone's home and I saw the yard sign, and then I drove down the community and I saw another yard sign, and I had been desperately searching for something for a church family and God led me to Christ Fellowship through a yard sign. And when they come here, their life is drastically changed. They're transformed by coming here and their marriage is restored. And then their children start serving and they start attending our student service and our kids service and, and our young adults. And their life is changed just because of a yard sign. God can use any tool to point people to Christ. And so here at Christ Fellowship, we want to give you all the resources. You know, the way that we bring transformation to our city is not only by serving people's spiritual needs, but if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, also by serving people's physical needs. Physical needs. When Jesus came down to this earth, he not only taught about the kingdom of God and the need of repentance, but Jesus also cared for people physically. When he was in front of the crowd of 5,000 people and they were hungry, he doesn't just preach the gospel and pray for them and tells them to go home. What does he do? He feeds them. Five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. He feeds the multitude who were hungry. When the man who had been paralyzed his entire life in Mark chapter 4 and his friends bring him to Jesus, he doesn't just heal his sins, serves them spiritually. What does he do? He heals him from his physical sickness. We want to be a church, Christ Fellowship, that not only do we serve people spiritual needs, 
but also physical needs as well, which is one of the reasons why we have these reach beyonds all throughout the year. And we challenge people to do at least once a quarter to go on mission and to serve people in a physical way just to care for the needs of the city. And we have different opportunities at all of our campuses. We have an incredible team. Idania leads our local missions team. And can we encourage Idania, who's doing an, a great job? And 13 years ago, we started our nonprofit initiative called Caring for Miami. And I don't know if you know how extensive uh, this initiative that we have and how much it reaches this city because we have three different programs. One of the programs that we have is our backpack program. Every single week, we're feeding 400 students in 16 different schools. Isn't that amazing, church family? Every week, serving the physical needs of these students. We also have our Project Smile our mobile dental unit, it goes into under-resourced communities and it also it goes into different areas where people cannot afford dental services. In the last 12 months, we've been able to provide $900,000 worth of dental services for free. Isn't that amazing? Serving the physical needs. The other program that we have is our bridge program where we are teaching for free conversational English Right now, we have 120 students meeting today on the weekend at four of our campuses. These people are learning English as a second or third language at four of our campuses, Doral and West Kendall and Redland and Palmetto Bay Campus, and they go to service, and then they learn, and they're educated, or they go to the class, and then they go to the service afterwards. This is serving the needs, the spiritual and physical needs of our community. And I'm excited to share with you, and we shared it this past Friday at our ministry rally, which was amazing and it was powerful. We have a fourth initiative that we've been praying about, we've been strategizing, we've been dreaming about. And this fourth initiative is going to be another way for us to serve the physical needs of our city. And so take a moment right now and watch uh, this video. Ten years ago, we learned that over 200,000 children in our city lived without something they needed. Something basic. Something many of us took for granted. Food. And while the problem seemed so big, we believed together we could solve it. We believed, through us, God would solve it. So we started the Backpack Program. And while little boys and girls filled their backpacks with leftover food from school cafeterias, while kids were bullied for taking food from the trash and parents struggled week after week to put food on the table. We asked for your help and you responded. You did incredible things to ensure that children in need did not have to worry about where their next meal would come from. You volunteered countless hours, packed bags, delivered them weekly to schools in the community. You started food drives, fundraised, and saved your allowance. You've given up countless birthdays and asked for donations instead of gifts. You've raised over $1.8 million and prayed over every single meal. We put your money to work and kids stopped complaining about hunger and spent more time in school. Teachers saw improvements in their ability to concentrate and their emotional health. They took less trips to the school nurse and had better relationships with their peers. They learned about Jesus. Parents no longer had to worry about providing enough food for their children. Everyone was healthier, happier. Food changed everything. In just 10 years, you took a simple story and did more than we ever thought possible. You helped us bring hope to over 100,000 children in Miami-Dade County. So, what's next? This December, we're going to broaden our focus to make access to fresh and healthy food a reality for more people. By way of a mobile food market, an extension of the Backpack Program, we will work together to bring food directly into Miami's most under-resourced communities to address food insecurity and hunger for over 240,000 individuals in our city. The mobile market, a retrofitted metro bus, will identify local food deserts and areas in most need of access to fresh and healthy food. 
The market will offer a friendly, inviting shopping experience because when families choose their own foods, it creates an atmosphere of dignity. Individuals will be able to choose the foods that best match their needs while providing healthy meal plans, recipes, cooking demonstrations, nutritional counseling, and most importantly, the hope of the gospel. Additionally, we'll be transforming our current storage warehouse into a formal food storage and distribution facility, doubling our current space to store food. The warehouse will provide a safe and effective way to provide the maximum level of support for our food programs while increasing workflow and enhancing operations. For the past 12 months, we've been working behind the scenes and have met with partners across the nation to learn exactly what is needed and what it will cost. Renovation of a low-floor metro bus, $100,000. Design, construction, woodwork, $75,000. Electrical, plumbing, insulation, shelving, refrigeration, $125,000. It all adds up to $300,000. So this year, join us. Give up your birthday, start a lemonade stand, buy a t-shirt, or ask your friends to donate. The hunger problem in our city is big, but it can be solved. And after a decade of work, now more than ever, we are determined to make access to food a reality for more families in our city. Join us. Isn't that amazing, church family? Listen, you want more information about how to serve or be a part of what God is doing for through Caring for Miami, you can go uh, to that page. You can scan the QR code or you can go to our website. You can also go to our Connect to Mission page, uh, which is very easy to find. You can scan that QR code, cfmiami.org slash mission. If you want to find out ways uh, to serve the community through a Reach Beyond, uh, through one of our partners that we have here at Christ Fellowship, and also through Caring for Miami. And so God has called us to serve the spiritual needs the physical needs, and here's the last point that I want you to write down today. And he's also called us to pray for our city. Amen. Pray for our city. Look at what Jeremiah writes in verse 7. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, Babylon. Look at what he writes. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Think about this for a moment. This, these Babylonians, they had destroyed uh, Jerusalem. They had destroyed their home, their businesses, their career, their family. And God is saying, listen, go and seek, go and serve the spiritual and physical needs and also pray for that city. My question for you today is, when was the last time you prayed for our city? When was the last time you prayed for Miami? When was the last time you prayed for your community, for your, for your neighbor, for your neighborhood, for the educators, for the government officials, for the mayors, the mayor of the city, the mayor of the county, for the first responders, firefighters, the police officers, nurses, for for the well-being, the prosperity of our city. If we were to be honest with each other, when, when we pray to God, oftentimes what we pray to God is for our children. Uh, we pray to God for our business, our career, a promotion opportunity, uh, for our physical health, for our finances, and for a, a family member, a friend, uh, someone who's close to us. And, and these are things that we should pray for. But God has called us to pray for the city. And I believe that the enemy has lied to us as a church. And what the enemy loves to lie to his church is that your mission and your prayer and what you do cannot make an impact or cannot make a difference. But I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Because look at what Paul writes. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. In other words, God is working within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you believe that today? You see, when you are missional, 
the impact that you make, it's actually a generational thing. It actually makes a difference, not in our lifetime, but throughout generations. You know, my mom was telling me that when she was growing up, my grandmother was in her 40s, and she was very hostile towards the things of God. She didn't want to have a relationship with Jesus. She was against, you know, just not following Christ and not seeking the Lord, and she was far away from the things of God. And eventually there was this family member that would continue to pursue her, and he would continue to live on mission, and he would continue to share his faith with her, trying to point her to Christ. And there was a situation that took place in her 40s with her physical health, and, and it actually led her, and, and that family member shared the gospel with my grandmother again. And in her 40s, my grandmother, my Awalita, uh, came to the ways of Christ, and God not only healed her spiritually, but healed her physically. And she's 95 now, and she's still alive and stronger than, than ever. And she's following the Lord. But what I love about this is that not only did my grandmother give her life to Christ, but eventually my grandfather would give his life to Christ. And eventually my mother, who was in her teens, would give her life to Christ. And then when we grew up, when we were born, my mother would pass on the gospel to us and my siblings and I, my brother and sister, we came, came into a relationship with Jesus and now I'm passing on the gospel to my children and my brother's passing it on to my nephew and niece and my sister's passing it on to my two nephews and niece and, and then we're praying that they pass it on, that they pass it on, that they pass it on. You see, because what we do in this world, when we live on mission, you're not just impacting the now you are impacting generations to come. And so when you give an invite to someone or you share the gospel to someone and their life is changed, think about this, their marriage is possibly changed, their children are changed, their grandchildren are changed, and God wants to do more in us and through us because he has immeasurably more that he wants to do through his church, but we are called to go and to live on mission. How many of you believe that today? Come on and give Jesus a loud shout of praise. So here's what I want us to do right now. I want you to take a moment right now in the stillness of this moment, right where you're seated. We're going to pray for our city. There where you are. We have some Bible verses that we have up on the screen. Maybe you want to use some of them, but we want to take a moment and pray for your city. Pray for your community. Pray for your for our government officials. Pray for our political leaders. We pray for Palmetto Bay, for West Kendall, for Doral, for Goulds, for Color Bay, for Perrine, for Homestead, for Redland, for Liberty City, for North Miami, for Medley, for Hialeah, for downtown Core Gables, Westchester, Kendall, South Miami. Let's just take a moment right now in the stillness of this moment and just pray for our city. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and we take a moment to pray for our city. We love Miami, and God, we are so blessed to live in this city, God. You have strategically called us and positioned us to be here, Lord. God, but we know that this city, there are many people who are far away from you and do not have a close relationship with you, Jesus. 
So God, I just pray that you may challenge us and compel us to be on mission and to tell others about the gospel of Christ. God, we pray for our mayors, the mayor of the city, the mayor of our county, the different mayors of the communities and in this city, Lord. We pray for the government officials. May you give them wisdom and guidance and discernment, Lord, to do what's best for the peace and the prosperity of, of the communities that make up our, our county. God, we just pray that you may touch their hearts, Lord, that they may come to know you as a personal, as their, as their Savior. And Lord, uh, we pray, God, that you may challenge us to be the light in the darkness, God. We pray for our teachers, our educators, our first responders, our firefighters, our nurses, our people that work in the hospital, Lord, doctors, physicians, police officers, Lord. We pray for the peace and prosperity of this city, Lord. God, continue to use us, Lord, to be the light in the darkness, to not only serve people in a spiritual way, but also in a physical way, Lord. You have called us to live our mission and not to live in isolation or separation, but to bring transformation to the place that we're in. Thank you, Lord, for Christ fellowship. It's only by your grace that you're able to use us, Lord, to do so many initiatives, so many different things in the community, Lord. We love you and we thank you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. Can we give it up for our Lord once again? Amen.